0: Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. Lewandowski goes through it again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an
1: amazing goal. I think he scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, and with me as always is the Micah Richards to my Roy Keane. It's Lewis. That's right,
0: guys. We're back with a slight delay. Sorry about that. We've had some serious snowstorms over here in Germany, which is why I was snowed in yesterday. Apologies, but I didn't know we had a grade three blizzard coming through and all the roads would be closed. Nevertheless, we have got some great topics for you today, and starting off with a nice little 9-0 at the midweek, followed by, obviously, the Premier League title race, because that took quite an interesting turn this week. And then we'll also take a look at how Thomas Tuchel has transformed Chelsea. Moving over to Germany then, Snowden, Germany produced a weekend of upsets, and we'll have a look at how that affected the top four race, as well as Frankfurt. How long can they keep this win streak up? Without further ado, let's get into the Premier League. 9-0, Billy was happy about this one. I know that much. Uh,
1: it's weird. I was really happy. But at the same time, after like the sixth one went in, after McTominay scored, it was just... I was like oh, this dead horse. Oh, I was like, this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> it was just seven, eight, nine. Oh my god! Like when Dan James is coming on and scoring, it's bad.
0: Yeah, but I, you also just have to take the, take into account that the seven, eight, and nine nil were scored more or less from between the eighty seventh and the ninety plus three. Like that's. I don't I don't know about you, but like, you know, at the end of a match, you can't be conceding three goals when you're ready, you know, you're beaten dead, yes, but come on, man, finish the match with a little bit of dignity. At least a little bit. But conceding those last three goals in the span of six minutes is just I don't think I've ever seen a team crumble that much.
1: Well, it didn't help that they had a second man sent off.
0: Yeah, but that came in the like I said, in the eighty sixth minute
1: yeah I've, I've i've been trying to find ways to almost defend it but the player that southampton had sent off alexander yankovic is a midfielder he's not like he's the best centre half in their in their team so having him sent off shouldn't affect them defensively
0: a little bit of a nightmare debut for him yeah, I'm completely in agreement. You can't, you can't tell me that just because a midfielder is sent off. Like, yes, you're playing with one man less, and no one expects you to win the game, but you don't crumble like that. And I'm going to have to put this out there: there's a clear mentality problem there. You can't, you can't just give up after getting a red card in the second minute. Like, yeah, it's not exactly optimal, but that shouldn't be. That shouldn't be the precursor to the
1: third 9-0 in Premier League history. Well, here's the thing. So Southampton have now lost 9-0 twice in two years. 15 months, yeah. There was three players that played in that 9-0 against Leicester. So Bednarak played, Prowse played, and Danny Ings played. Ryan Bertrand was on the pitch, but he didn't last very long. He got sent off. <laughs> There's
0: a little bit of a correlation there.
1: <laughs> I think Ralph Hasenhuttl is the only manager in Premier League history to lose 9-0 twice. It isn't his fault. There's only so much a manager can do. Yeah. He deserves a lot more than he was given because they did just give up. I think after Wan-Bissaka scored the first one, no there were, yeah there was no there wasn't a single bit of fight,
0: and to say that about a Premier League team who you know they've by no means played a crap season so far, like the last time Southampton lost nine nil, and it's depressing to say the last time, as if this is a weekly occurrence, um the last time they lost nine nil, they were having probably one of the worst seasons ever, and Hasenhutte came in mid-season. And at that point, it was kind of attributed to the fact of, oh, you know, he's still a manager who's coming to grips with his team. The team has had a crap season anyway. You know, it was just compounding factors, and it was basically like the wake-up call. But now, Southampton this season have played pretty well, considering, you know, especially in comparison to last season. Like, it's, It is just inexplicable to me because there was no – there was there was no foreshadowing that the team would crumble like this. You know, they were comfortably in the midfield of the table. They were winning the games they should be winning. Losses here and there, yes, but overall they were they were playing like most experts and pundits would have predicted Southampton to be playing, and you know the results that they were getting. So there was no inclination that that they would come. Anywhere close to losing nine nil.
1: Absolutely none. No, I think it was also a case that everything just fell into place for United that night. Opposed to we fast forward to the to the weekend. You know, three all against Everton, it's just it was a little bit gut wrenching. You know, Fernandez you providing- scores scores the absolute screamer. Yeah, And then seven minutes into the second half, it's 2 all.
0: So you're providing me with a perfect segue then into our bit on the title race. I mean, there's no real other way to put it. Was that the nail in the coffin for United's title race? I mean, I know we, we asked this question already last week when we were talking about the fact that they had lost to Sheffield United and then not managed to secure a win at the weekend again but was that now finally just you know we can kill all hope of trying to stick with city in the title race or at least put up a fight
1: yeah i think for people with reasonably long memories i got major shade of the for all against everton in 2012 yeah yeah you know the year city won the league on goal difference 4-2 up in that game against everton and crumbled again is it a question of the players don't have
0: the experience to see through a title challenge like some of the players of course who have already played with city they've won multiple premier leagues in the last few years do you think it's that do you think that that is the deciding factor because I'd argue that both Manchester City and Manchester United have reasonably equal squads when you look at playing ability.
1: Yeah, I think it's a mentality thing. You look forward and you know Cavani's won nearly everything. He's won wherever he's gone, so that's helpful. You know Pogba's won the World Cup, in midfield, Matic has won stuff, Mata's won things. I think the further back you go, the less winning experience there is. The back four, there's none. And couple that with a declining goalkeeper.
0: Yeah, I was about to, I was about to say, uh, what is the phrase? Attack wins you games, defense wins you titles. Now, and, and if yeah, you're and United, telling me. Yeah.
1: And United just don't have the defense. And I've seen a lot of things going around. I know... United have been here before with flirting with Sergio Ramos, but you know it could not could it not be a similar situation to Cavani, one year with an option for an extra, and he just elevates the players around him because he knows.
0: Uh, yeah, I was about to say there are very few players who have the resume of Sergio Ramos, and you know it would be a it would really be a great acquisition to, I think, any team who has the aspirations to be challenging for titles, especially when, like United, they are missing that last little bit or or that last little piece of the puzzle where the mentality is concerned. It is one of those things. Would you have if, if someone had told you ahead of this season United were going to be in second place and challenging for the title, would you have believed them?
1: no because you'd think liverpool would still be up there maybe chelsea with the players they brought in spurs and i think i you know not that i don't assume edinson cavani listens to this but i do owe him owe him a little bit of an apology because i was one of the ones that compared it to the falcao I said I wanted it to be like Ibrahimovic, but my gut feeling was it was more like Falcao.
0: I mean, I wouldn't... You know, comparing him to Ibrahimovic, Ibrahimovic really did have a special start at United, so I wouldn't go as far as to say Cavani and Ibrahimovic on the same level, but Cavani's definitely proven to be more more of a... more of an acquisition than Falcao did at the time. So, yeah, I'll give you that much.
1: Let's just move on and let's talk liverpool
0: yeah Let, let's talk the hyped up match of the weekend and the first half would have you believe we're in for another uh, disappointment another overhyped top match and then the second half kind of exploded you know say for a good one, skying the penalty because obviously he was already thinking about the super bowl really later that night but you know
1: Gundogan was in field goal mode. Yeah. It had everything. Missed penalties, a dive for Liverpool, let's be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But I want to... We can talk about Alisson in a second because huh. you're, you're a goalkeeper. I want your opinion on this. Yeah. And I just want to talk Phil Foden for a sec.
0: Wow, 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 wow.
1: But it's not just that goal. It's every time he plays. No, that, that's what I'm saying. That he plays for Man City because he's generational.
0: He is. He is definitely one of those players who could who could really lead an era at City. But, you know, along with Raheem Sterling, he is, as you've said, a generational talent. And, I mean, now you're just seeing it. He, he said in the post-match interviews, you know, play me at false nine. I love it he doesn't mind can play him on the wings. The guy is different gear and you keep seeing, and and we've seen it time and time again. And he just keeps showing you why he deserves to be in the England team. And he deserves to be in that starting 11 for, for city.
1: Definitely. And he put, he put a picture up on his Twitter uh, of him in 2016 city against Liverpool. He's one of the ball boys. <laughs> Cut forward five years later, man of the match performance and a ridiculous goal.
0: I think that's going to be a perfect segue into Allison because I'm as much as I love that Phil Foden goal, Allison should be keeping that out.
1: What do you want to talk about the uh, the mistakes?
0: Here's the thing: it kills me every time I see a goalkeeper make a mistake like that, but. Mm, <sighs> It's really hard to excuse that because, as much as, as much as Jurgen Klopp was right in saying in the post-match interview, you know, it wasn't just Allison that made the mistake; it was also the the whole team who literally gave him no options. And I'm inclined to agree with him because when you look at the mistakes and you look at basically every Liverpool Liverpool player around him, he had zero options, like literally zero. There was nothing there was There was no open player for him to pass to, and Allison, as a keeper is very good, especially when it comes to also playing out of the back now that being said, in that situation, if no one 's open to open for you and you get the ball from your own player, just boot it just sky i don 't just get it away from your goal. you can knock it out for a corner if if you have to but don't put it right at the striker, especially on the edge of your own box. I mean, it sounds simple, yes, but all he had to do really in that situation both times was just to smash it out and clear it because anything is better than doing what he did.
1: Well, I think we can stop the search for the worst excuse in football after Jurgen Klopp said that Allison's feet were cold.
0: Wow, okay. Uh, that yeah. expression
1: speaks volumes, Lewis.
0: It, it, it really does. Alison's uh, feet are cold. I'm sorry, what the hell was that? There are 22 players on that pitch who all have probably cold feet.
1: I just want to talk Klopp a minute because I used to really like him when he was at Dortmund and <laughs> I begrudgingly liked him when he started at Liverpool. But now he's just turned into this miserable, petulant, I don't know whether you've seen Jeff Shreve's interviewed him like mi- during the week ahead of the game on Sunday. and It was like, oh, you're X number of points behind City. It was seven at the time. You're seven points behind yeah. City. Is it possible for you to now catch them back up? like, Why are you asking me these stupid questions? Have you ever been the best commentator in, in football? No. So you don't know what it's like. It's like, Jesus, man. And then he interviewed him post-match as well. And he was like, oh, it's 10 points. Do you think it's possible for Liverpool to catch them up? Which is a fair question. Yeah. This isn't like a poking the bear type question. Like, do you think you're going to lose your job question? And he goes off at at him again for no reason. I, I get it. You're under pressure because you're not winning everything like you were last season.
0: Yeah, it is a little bit of a sad decline, really, because I'm 100% in agreement with you. It is very, very childish. Uh, he is ju- he's just gotten backed into a corner now, where he's obviously not the golden boy of managers in England anymore, and the only way he see the only way he seems to see a way out of that position is just start swinging, and the swings first of all aren't la- he's not landing very good punches at anyone really and you know it's just i think though that interview with jeff shreves at the beginning and uh, before the liverpool match uh sorry the the liverpool city match it's just it speaks volumes because he's now in in a position where he is, you know he used to be the the poster boy for you know, he he, introduce, he introduced himself as the normal one. And he used to be the poster boy for the calm, reserved manager. You know, he's always cool with everything. And for lack of a better word, he's lost his cool.
1: Yeah, he was the uh, epitome of the cool dad exactly. vibe. And now he's gone vintage Jose.
0: Yeah, if, if he doesn't watch out, he's going to have the same legacy as Mourinho. And Mourinho, you know, for all of his tactical genius... And I 100% still think that he is one of the best managers in the world. Or he was, at least, at a time. His legacy is just him moaning about everything and just being a little petulant child. And if Klopp doesn't watch out, he's going to go the same way.
1: On the subject of that one, just before we move on to Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea, Gareth Bale didn't come on against Brighton when they beat Spurs. Yeah. And the reporter asked him, uh, I can't remember her name, but she asked him, well, why didn't Gareth Bell play? Maria looks there and goes, well, that's a very good question, but you don't deserve an answer. Which is horrendously I... <laughs> bad, but it's also deflecting, it, it deflects the media attention off the fact that they lost onto the fact that always... Oh, He's being a bit of a bastard again. Oh, that tricky Jose.
0: Yeah, I—I I mean, you're not wrong. Maybe, maybe we're just all uh, live, Maybe just Marino's living rent-free in all of our heads, and he's—he's uh, he's really the mastermind. We're, he's playing checkers when we're all still playing chess, and he's in reality just trying to deflect media attention off of the bad results. If that were the case, freaking genius. But you know. Personally, I don't believe that's the case. I just believe that he's a petulant little child. (laughs) But uh, yeah, you never know. You never know. But it is the same. It is more or less the same situation, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, moving on to one of Jose's old teams. Let's talk Chelsea. And I think
0: we have to look at the fact that Ture has now been in the hot seat for about four matches He's managed to win three of them and draw the other one. So, you know, 10 points out of four matches, I think is a very respectable tally, especially when you've come in mid-season. You don't have necessarily the squad you want, and you're given basically 48 hours to make something of it. And I said it to you when we were were just watching the lineups of the Chelsea-Sheffield United match. It is as if Thomas Tuchel has had a listen of this podcast when we had a dig at Frank Lampard about how stubborn he was with his formations and basically said, oh, those boys, Lewis and Billy, they seem to have, they seem to have their tactics worked out. I think I'm going to take a leaf out of their book because he finally played. Technically, it's a 3, four, three but in reality... It was a three in midfield that functioned as a diamond with two center midfielders, a center attacking midfielder, and then two strikers. He's listened. He's listened to us. And you have to say, it's worked for Chelsea. You know, yes, the game yesterday was a scrap, you know, no doubt about it. But Chelsea are having, you know, from what I've seen, it seems as if they are averaging like 70% possession. I mean, yesterday against Sheffield, it was 72% possession at one point.
1: That's mad. I think, I don't know whether three at the back is a too cool formation. I think it's more what he's got at Chelsea. Like, you know, you live within your means type thing. But a lot of those players have played that formation before. Under Antonio Conte. Yeah, yeah. So all of the back three have played in a back three for Chelsea already. And like you say, you know, you have Timo Werner up front with Giroud interchangeable with Abraham that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I think the next big thing for Thomas Tuchel is to try and get Kai Havertz and Hakim Ziyech in the team. Which
0: I think he's going to have a job doing because Mason Mount, that kid is playing one game of his life after another. He is, for me, since Tua has come in, he has played very, very well. And he's always been effective. He's always been energetic. He's always been running after the ball. He's been creating chances. Like, yeah, his shots were not exactly on target against Wolves. To put it lightly, I mean he's skied most of them, but I think just the it, ju- just the ferocity with which Mason Mount plays, and he just seems to be everywhere. He is making it very hard for Kai Havertz or Hakim Tijer
1: to even get in that team. I think, I think we owe another apology to Mason Mount because we were very, very much along the lines of our, you know, he's just frank lampard brought him from he had him at derby when he was on loan there he's brought him into the chelsea first team but he he genuinely seems like a manager's dream he's very hard working you know lose the ball he will go and try to get it back he works hard he lives and breathes chelsea as well which always helps
0: yeah i mean it's the it's the chelsea talisman at the minute you know along with Rhys James, he is one of the first guys in a long time who have made the, the jump from, uh, f- from the Chelsea youth team to the first team. You know, obviously, Tammy Abraham as well, but Tammy Abraham took a bit. You know, he, he had to have that loan spell at Villa. Um, it, was, it was a very – it was a steep slope. And I think that's where we also have to give Frank Lampard a bit of credit because without Frank Lampard, I don't think Mason Mount would be in the team today.
1: That's very true. He'd probably be along the lines of Van Vollenhoven, not Van Vollenhoven, Marco van Ginkel, and to a lesser extent now Conor Gallagher, who's on loan at West Brom. It'd just be another one in the Chelsea loney train.
0: Uh, Lu- Lucas Piazon is the uh, is the poster boy for Chelsea's loan train.
1: Oh, but he's left now. He got sold in the in the January transfer window
0: finally after what six years of six
1: different loan positions something like that I think he's he's now at Braga so he can kick on with his career
0: (laughs) mid-20s Jesus
1: so before we move on to the Bundesliga I just want an honest opinion from someone who's seen more of Tuchel than me do you think he's the right man some of you may have seen
0: uh, the video on Louis Beneventi's YouTube channel where he also asked me about a couple of questions for Tuchel. And I told him at the time, "Is Tuchel the?" he asked me as well, is Tuchel the right manager for Chelsea? And I said, tactically, yes. Uh, because just, you know, he's done, he's worked such wonders with Mainz, for instance, uh, when they were on the brink of getting relegated, and he pulled them up within two seasons to to a Europa League spot. So tactically, he's very good, and he's also been known, you know, when he has little to work with, he still gets the most out of it. So I think this season specifically, with him coming in mid-season, he will get a lot out of that Chelsea team that maybe some wouldn't have expected. The problem I think that will come up and it's been a little bit of a common denominator in his career, is that if he does not get the players he wants from the board, he will start falling out with the board.
1: Chelsea's board notoriously not very patient.
0: Exactly. And I think it's... I, I'm i going to have to back Tuchel every time because if, whether you look at his his stint at Mainz or a stint at Dortmund every time it was due to the fact that the board said, no, we're not going to give you the players you want. And I'll back any manager who falls out with a board when the board doesn't give them the players they want because at the end of the day, the board isn't in the managerial spot. The board is there to or should be there to do the manager's bidding because the manager has a clear plan of how the team should progress and how the team will win titles. So to me, it is very, very inexplicable when a board says, mm, "You know what?" Especially in the case of Tuchel and Dortmund's board, where Dortmund, where Dortmund's board were kind of like, "Yeah, uh, don't worry, you got, you'll keep Mats and you'll keep Abameyang. and those were the two first players they sold. You know, <laughs> they they tell you one thing and they they turn around and do the exact opposite, or and then they start courting other players who Tuchel doesn't want, and in that instance. I'm very, very hard put to agree with the board and say, you know, the board sh- the board needs the backing here and the board deserves the backing. Because at the end of the day, the manager should be the person to basically go to the board and say, get me these players, or I need players in these positions with so-and-so uh, skills so that this team can progress. Obviously, I'm not going to ask you to get, you know, Neymar or Mbappe for 200 mil, but I'm asking for players that are skilled enough to be effective in these and these positions so if tuchel fails at chelsea because chelsea don't give them the players they want then i'm sorry but chelsea have no one but themselves to blame long story short
1: but just be another long line in long it would just be another one in the long line of chelsea managers We just come mm-hmm. to expect it from chelsea before we move on you were on about the board signing players that the manager doesn't want. I know we don't talk about Liga on this podcast, but it made me laugh because it's actually quite batshit. Andre Villas-Boas offered to resign in a press conference because the board signed a player. Uh, He found out during the, the press conference that they'd signed... So, Oliven Natcham, and he he said, "I want to leave Marseille. I'm not asking anything else from the board." They've since suspended him while they do a dis a disciplinary investigation.
0: I'm sorry, but I'm 100 percent behind Villas Boas in that in that scenario. You can't just go along as the board and say, "We think that this is a player that should be playing for our club," because it, it is it baffles me when people who aren't the manager think they should be the ones making the plans at the club for the, for the squad. They're not the ones managing the squad. They're not the ones who are coaching them day in and day out. All your job is as the board is to make sure the funds are available for said players. If they're not available for said players, then you just tell your manager, sorry, we don't have the funds to do so. Then the manager is going to have to, you know, accept that fact because, at the end of the day, no one could do anything about that. But to go around and sign players who you think is good as the as the board of directors, who who in their opinion will fit into the team, is just such a boneheaded move. It's unbelievable.
1: Like I said, it made, you know, it made me laugh because that's such a. 100%. Uh, it's just it's such a football manager thing to happen. (laughs) Like it happened. I don't want my star players sold. The board have accepted a bit. Get out. I'm resigning. Yeah. Exactly. It just, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. Anyway, enough about French football. Let's talk the Bundesliga. I'm going to have to make a
0: small little topic change here. And Seeing as we just had the talk of board of directors and managers not getting the players they want, there was a very interesting story today, and it is in the Bundesliga. It is that apparently Jerome Boateng has been told by the Bayern board to sit tight because they have other priorities right now and is thus now being linked with Chelsea. Now, just as a neutral fan looking in on Bayern's center back positions David Alaba is more or less gone Niklas Züle is still a little bit off of his pre ACL tear form and only has a contract till 2022 and has been very much linked with a move from Bayern so that the board can get money for him before you have a similar David Alaba situation. So that's technically two center backs who you already have going out the door. Now there's rumors of the third guy going out the door because they think it is not a priority to sign Jerome Boateng, even though he has a contract only till 2021 and is free to negotiate with any club he likes. And it is a clear-cut case of Hasan Zalihamidzic as sporting director thumbing thumbing his nose at Hansi Flick and saying, you know what, I'm going to make this squad the way I want to and you're going to have to deal with it. And it's just another case of why isn't the manager who has to coach the squad week in, week out and make the tough decisions, the person who is making the decisions when it comes to the players signed. It is unbelievable. Uh, are you done? Yeah, I'm good.
1: Breathe, babe. Breathe. <laughs> I, it, it's a weird one because you obviously know more about this than me because it's your team. But looking at the defenders you've got available, like you say, David Alaba, gone, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And you've got, was it Tanguy Nianzu? Yeah. Very young. Win- 18. Wouldn't want to chuck him in to the Bayern first team as a direct replacement for Jerome Boateng.
0: No, and he's been injured for half of the season so far.
1: Well, I mean, that doesn't help. Lucas Hernandez, best position is centre-back. Is it, though? If you wanted the left-back, you sign his brother but he plays well at left back.
0: And I mean, we've got, but here's the thing. It's Bayern have then Alfonso Davies and Lucas Hernandez at left back to interchange, which is what you need. If you want to win titles and you want to make it through, you need double, uh, you need, you need two top players for one position. Simple as.
1: True. I think, well, you talk about two top players, for one position. You're right about a position is atrocious. You got Benjamin oh, Pavard and Bonassar, both not good one enough one. to play for Bayern Munich. No, all this You're talk right. about buying signing Dea Upamecano from Leipzig. He should go for Mukiele.
0: Do you know what what the latest rumor is? Is that because Inter want to get rid of Ashraf Hakimi because they are in some serious financial uh, debt and need the money, so Hakimi is who already was eyed by Bayern during his time at Dortmund is now being linked with a move to Bayern again as the right back. But for that to happen either Bonassa or Benjamin Pavard have to be sold.
1: Simple. Just sell Bonassa. He's not good enough.
0: Yeah, he definitely
1: isn't. I mean Benjamin Pavard has the experience of playing in a World Cup winning French team. Doesn't mean he's good enough for Bayern but he's better the, than
0: He definitely is and he was also part of the Champions League winning team or the treble winning team of Bayern
1: exactly I think I'll tell you who could use Ashraf Hakimi Real Madrid if only they (laughs) had a player like Hakimi and and didn't sell him and didn't have to play Lucas Vasquez at right back
0: well we do know that Spanish clubs when it comes to their personnel decisions are for lack of a better word batshit
1: well, last thing on Bayern's defense. If you sign Deo Upamecano, I won't be talking to you for a couple of days. I, I mean,
0: they kind of have to at this point. With, uh, uh, with, with, with the people, they're like, yeah, okay, but you know, d- let's be real. David Alaba gone. You need to sign Deo Upamecano just to replace him. And that's without the holes that would be punched into the center back position if Zula or Boateng or both were to leave the club.
1: I just hope that Bayern don't don't sign Upamecano.
0: Oh, well. You can always go for Konate, uh, the B-Tech Upamecano, who also plays for Leipzig
1: alongside him. Thanks. I'll be really happy. So, can we get Upamecano? No, we have Upamecano at home. Upamecano at home. Konate. <laughs> <laughs> you might be oh, so dude. disappointed if that happened. Oh well. You get hyped up for all this time. It's like, oh no, they didn't sign him in January because it wasn't financially viable. They waited till the summer and then missed out on it completely. It's like oh. <laughs> But let, let me cheer myself up with the uh the shortcomings of other people's teams.
0: Exactly. And I think we have to look at Borussia Dortmund. They lost to Freiburg, and it's their eighth loss of the season in the Bundesliga. I mean, does
1: it get much worse? Well, they're now two points off of Dortmund, Freiburg. (laughs) So, do with that what you will. And I said a couple weeks ago, you lose six games a season, you don't deserve top four. You lose eight, you really don't deserve anything at all.
0: You don't deserve European
1: places, no. Am I right in saying that they've got uh, Gladback in the DFB poker? I think that's the draw. And I'd still back Gladbach in that game.
0: Uh, yeah, I would as well. And it, it goes to the fact now, is, you know, it's obviously a mentality thing. Because we've been through this time and time again. Dortmund do not have a bad squad. And now they've gotten rid of the manager who was apparently the problem. And they're still underperforming. I mean, it speaks volumes when the only goal you score comes from a player who was born in 2004. But... (laughs) I'm trying to look at the team. I really don't. I really don't understand it. I mean, it is... It's not a bad team. You know, you've got Sancho, Haaland, Brandt, Reus, Reina. That's your front attacking five. That attacking five should be scoring about 5 goals a game. With the creativity there.
1: I'll tell you what is quite interesting though. If they miss out on European football completely. <clears throat> I think they're already resigned to losing Jadon Sancho anyway.
0: They've already said in multiple there've been multiple reports that have said Sancho 90% chance he's gone
1: United bound but we'll talk about that when the window opens again
0: yeah so here Max Bielefeld the Sky Reporter who is very very uh, reliable when it comes to info yeah he's the German Fabrizio Romano (laughs) he said it was he would personally say that Sancho there's a 90% chance of him being gone next uh, at the end of the season
1: well there we go if they don't get european football they can kiss goodbye to erling Haaland as well
0: as much as it pains me to say it yeah because there's especially no because way, Cho-
1: there's no way that his. i'm not going to say his name there's no way that his gremlin of an agent will let his new star client not play in the champions league
0: oh yeah Especially with uh, Chelsea now looking at Erling Haaland.
1: Never going to happen.
0: I mean, I wouldn't understand that move at all, especially when you've just bought Timo Werner and you have Giroud and Tammy Abraham. But that's a topic for, a different, for another day. Should we move on to the other upset, which was the fact that Borussia Mönchengladbach, for all the praise we've given them,
1: managed to lose against Köln. Who have not exactly had the best season. I'm gonna stop praising teams because they clearly don't deserve it.
0: I was about to say, every time you praise a team, they go on and just have a bad run
1: of it. It's a curse. I mean, take nothing away from Kern and take nothing away from the goal scorer who has the coolest name and I'm not even gonna try
0: Rechbichai.
1: Jesus. At least, at
0: least that's what the that's what the German commentators say. So I'm I, I'm I'm going off of that.
1: Yeah, but his first name is Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> that's worth a goal a game in itself.
0: He's a German though, so.
1: There we go. It was a good day for young German players because Florian Neuhaus scored again. Future Bayern Munich number ten, Florian Neuhaus. Yeah, yeah. But you know
0: it's. It's still a little bit inexplicable how that Gladbach team does not manage to beat Köln. I mean, Köln are really not... You know, through that win, now they're on 14th. They've cleared Hatta now by four points, which is good for them. But they've, they've had such an up-and-down season. And... They were at one point in the direct relegation spots and they spent the longest time on the relegation playoff spot. It's, it, it doesn't look good for Gladbach, especially when they've got, you know, they've got City in the Champions League.
1: Yeah. Beforehand, a few weeks ago, maybe, they could make it difficult, but it just seems like a formality now.
0: Can we just appreciate the fact that when that draw came out, we were saying, oh, do you know what? Gladbach will do a number on City because City are playing so badly and Gladbach are playing so well. It could not be more opposite at this point. I
1: told you, we poked the bear too much. We really did. And now they won't stop and it's making me really sad. Because I'm telling
0: you right now, that Gladbach team versus that City team, City are going to kill them. But Depends with Gladbach, Gladbach turn up, really. Yeah, but the thing is, as of late, the Gladbach that beat Bayern and that you know took the games to Madrid and Inter hasn't been showing up all too much.
1: I was going to say, if it's the Gladbach that beat Bayern, they'll stand a pretty good chance. But if it's the Gladbach we saw at the weekend, it's going to be about 9-0 first leg anyway.
0: Exactly. It just doesn't look good.
1: Now, I have an interesting
0: little question for you. Dortmund and Gladbach are level on points. But if we're being honest, Dortmund are playing a crap season and Gladbach are playing for all their ups and downs are playing a relatively good season for them. Would you agree? I would. So that being said, do you think that Marco Rosa is a candidate for the bench at Dortmund? For the managerial spot,
1: um, yeah, if they've got to, like serious, genuine ambitions,
0: because I'd argue that the if you're going about longevity and you're looking at the long-term project, Dortmund is definitely more attractive than Gladbach because they just have so much more of a finance, so much more options, or so more, so many more options financially. Think Dartbach do. It's a completely different level.
1: It is a different level. But I think Marco Rosa has taken that Gladbach team. When they play well, they are on another level. If he was given the players that Dortmund have, I think he could probably take them to genuine contenders.
0: So that'd be the interesting thing. If Dortmund don't get European football in general, I mean, top four right now seems already a ways away. If Dortmund don't even make Europa League next season, do you think that you would be able to get Haaland to stay? Especially when Marco, if Marco Rosa were to take the managerial job.
1: Depends who the manager is, and it depends if they can sell their... What's the word?
0: Five-year plan?
1: Yeah, if they can sell their plan to if it's look it's not ideal but stay you know you will be the main man you will be the the, the Dortmund poster boy yeah I think because Gio Reyna is probably not going to go anywhere Sancho's 90% gone
0: Bellingham will definitely stay
1: Bellingham will stay uh, they'll lose that Brazilian lad they've got on loan from Real Madrid, but he's nothing special. And a new manager, it's basically open for any player. So, but there is talk of back in.
0: Yeah, there is talk of Rosa. If he were to take the job, he would take a couple of players from Gladbach, or he might be able to.
1: I'd bring Allison player.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, if and he I'd, could, probably play and Marcos Turam
1: yeah i try i try and bring i try and bring Florian Neuhaus, but that's probably going to be very difficult
0: of course, but still you know florian Neuhaus to Dortmund versus to bayern i'd argue that Neuhaus would definitely get into that Dortmund team right away versus at Bayern he'd probably have to contend with being second string for at least the first season
1: that's what I mean it depends if he wants to be. Thomas Muller's understudy or whether he waits another year maybe and goes straight in as a direct replacement yeah interesting to see
0: but we will end this episode on a little bit of a high note if you will two teams who we didn't see being anywhere near top four well I mean I say anywhere near we expected them to be maybe fighting for Europa League. But two teams who are now are sitting relatively comfortably in the top four. Wolfsburg and Frankfurt. How long do you think they'll be able to keep this up? Probably the remainder of this season. Because Frankfurt got kicked out of the day of Beepukai. They don't have European football. They only have the Bundesliga left.
1: It definitely helps not having to travel as much. I think they can focus fully on their next games. And especially, you know, you're playing twice a week. There's more chance of picking up injuries as well.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's in their favor over teams like Leverkusen.
0: Well, Leverkusen managed to get themselves kicked out as well, but they do still have European football. Wolfsburg, they have a very hard draw in the DFB Pokal in comparison to uh, Frankfurt, who aren't even in it. Airby yeah, Leipzig versus Wolfsburg. That would be a very, very big matchup. And they did just draw 2-2 a few weeks ago in the league.
1: Only three points separate them as well, in second and third. Yeah. I think... Uh, my gut probably. I want to go with Wolfsburg because I like the the underdog.
0: <laughs> Always love a good underdog story. But moreover, do you think Wolfsburg will will be able to keep this up and stay in third or stay in the top four?
1: I think they'll definitely stay in the top four. Whether they have enough to push Leipzig or even if they have enough to stay off Frankfurt, I think it's about keeping uh, their costing goals. Yeah, keep him fit and firing I think they've definitely got a chance
0: well I think on that little prediction we will end this week's episode don't forget to like subscribe, comment, share on Instagram and Twitter we also have the podcast on Spotify on Google and our RSS feed so make sure to check those out but thanks very much for listening guys Keep calm, love the beautiful game.